0: Welcome to Rise and Shine, raw chats with real women in Australian small business. In each candid conversation with a small business owner, we'll explore the messy back end of business with heaps of golden wisdom to help you learn, grow and live your truth. I'm your host, Rachel Green, SEO copywriter and founder of Shine Copy. Let's do it. In this episode, I'm chatting with Mia Fileman from Campaign Del Mar. Mia's a marketing strategist and campaign guru, and I brought her on because I adore her ideas, especially about icky marketing tactics and keeping it real in small business. Mia, what I love about you is that there is no facade, there's no filter, there's no room for BS. You're pure quality and the real marketing deal that people can trust, and that is why I've brought you on my podcast to chat about all things shady marketing. So welcome, take the floor. (laughs) Oh,
1: thank you so much. Uh, That means a lot because those are my brand values is trust,
0: generosity, transparency. So I'm really glad that they're coming through. Awesome. Uh, That's probably why like your transparency and all those things that you put out there are why you attract people like me who like feel you on that and want to, I guess, connect with you about those things. So kudos, you're doing something right, Mia. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, I prescribe, (laughs) like I subscribe,
1: sorry, I should say to the inbound approach to marketing where instead of interrupting what people are interested in, we become what people are interested in. And so the inbound approach is really about like clearing a path through the woods for your ideal customers to take if they choose to. And so for me, it's just about sharing what I'm about, what I believe, how I'm different, and then the right people who will resonate with that message will come to me rather than me having to push my way into their lives.
0: Yes, I am so with you. And it's amazing to hear someone, like, articulate kind of what I've been thinking and feeling because um, I think lately I've been on a, I don't know, a bandwagon, a revolt, whatever, against doing what the world says we should do, whether it's in motherhood, in business, as a human, as a shopper, as whatever. And I think there is so much pressure from all the coaches and all the gurus out there who tell you, oh, you need to be, you know, pushing and you've got me in Facebook ads and you need to be on, 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 when I have never actually believed in that. I've always um, felt that word of mouth is a huge thing and people will say, ah, you, this girl gets you, so let's send you to her for copy. And I've also believed for a long time that the more that you – strong in one particular thing for one ideal customer and the more you talk about that the more you'll attract those people and be renowned for doing exactly that therefore you don't need to push because people will come (laughs) i couldn't agree more i think that
1: there is so much pressure now but a lot of it is self-serving pressure it's like instagram coaches telling you you should be all in on instagram and facebook ads managers telling you you should be all in on facebook ads and I think it just really comes down to the fact that not all advice is created equal. Hmm. That's right. And you need your bullshit
0: radar. (laughs) Finally, finally tuned. (laughs) Exactly. So um, it's kind of that time of year, because we're recording this in Feb 2023. It's that time of year when courses are for sale. People are goal setting, laying out their whole year. And I recently did a solo pod on why I'm not buying into all of that. But where do you sit with it? Well,
1: I'm currently marketing a course, so uh, it sits pretty well with me at the moment. So I, I have a few programs, but I have Campaign Classroom, which is my signature program, and it's offered twice a year. And so it's going, it's on sale now for March, and then it'll be on sale again. I think that there's a lot of merit in starting your year with upskilling. And I think that there's a lot of merit in planning ahead and investing in your professional and personal development. So I don't have a problem with that. I guess what I have a problem with is a lot of the language around courses The you know, um, this is going to change your life. It's like, look, there are some things that are absolutely going to change your life. I don't think that uh, Instagram course, marketing course is going to change your life. Like it might at best, transform your business, but is it really going to transform your life? And as a words wizard like you, I'm sure that that would irk you as well about the
0: superlatives that we use in our marketing and we use in our messaging. Mm. But from day one, when you step into the copywriting world, you're taught about those power words, those power adjectives, and the things that will get attention and get clicks. And it's just like, ick, no, thank you. (laughs) Let's just be real and natural and and not treat people as idiots who need to be like have the wool pulled over their pulled over their eyes.
1: Yeah, I think that's like it's important to excite your audience, it's important to um, make them feel something, but when it starts to be misleading, when it starts to be exaggeration and downright lying, then it crosses a line for me. And <laughs> You know, uh, I've had a lot of pushback from people um, saying, oh, it's nuanced. And it's like, I don't think it's that nuanced. You know, if it's a lie, it's a lie. If it's an exaggeration, it's exaggeration. If you're purposefully misleading people, then that's not good. <laughs> you know, it's like it, it, some things are complicated. I don't feel that misleading people is all that complicated.
0: Mm-mm. It's not complicated and it's not right. That's all you need to know, people. <laughs> Why do you think it is that I guess coaches fall into this category of misleading people and just making you squirm? And when you're kind of like, really? You sold that many courses and you've made a million bucks from that on question or credibility. Like, yeah, what is it about coaches? Oh gosh, how much time do we have? Okay, as long so what you need. <laughs>
1: I have a lot of thoughts about this. Okay, so the first thing I will say is that there is a very different way of doing business culturally between the US and Australia. So that kind of language model, uh, like aggressive sales technique is very American. And it feels like uh, from, from my research, it seems like American populations are okay with that. They like that. They're like, oh, that's a bold brave business and in Australia we're like that is annoying AF like you know mm, so know. um, but we we think because they look like us and they sound sort of like us and that there's been a lot of like breakthrough Coaches or marketers from the US in Australia that we think that that kind of way of doing business is going to work. It's not. You know, it's very typical to be very specific. It's very typical for a US based coach or marketer to send an email every single day. If you do that in Australia, you are going to get unsubscribed. I'm telling that to you right now. That's going to happen. Okay. There is no brand that I want to hear from every single day. So, so that's one. The second thing is, is that It does work. Weaponizing psychology works, okay? I'm not going to sit here and argue about the fact that misleading customers isn't effective. It is. It's just Mm. you're not going to sleep very well at night. So, um, you know, a lot of that shame based language and like false scarcity and invented authority, like, you know, calling yourself a business doula in exchange, you know, as opposed to calling yourself a business strategist because you're not a strategist. So you just come up with the name doula because that sounds good, like sales ninja, brand doula. I don't know what these are, but like these are examples of like invented authority in lieu of actual actually going to university and spending 21 years working in a profession like like I have and I'm not saying that qualifications and experience count for everything but they absolutely count for something you know mm. otherwise we wouldn't go and do it it wouldn't cost $40,000 to get a degree if it wasn't worth anything so um I think that it works And so because it does work and people are desperate, Rach, like they are just, they're like, okay, um, I'm going to do it because I've mortgaged my house to run this business or I need to put food on my table. And they convince themselves that it's okay. The other thing that I think is probably the most important in all of this is that we see coaches who appear to be successful because of what you said, where they've you know, created this course and they've sold it out and they talk about how much money they've made and they have huge social media audience and they seem to have raving testimonials and they tell us to do something and we accept that permission from them. We go, well, if they told me to do it, it must be okay. It's like, you know, they have taught us to override our intuition and our gut feel on this and just be like well so-and-so said it was okay it's worked for them they've told me it's completely legitimate even though it does sit very uncomfortably with me to have a countdown timer on a program that's actually never expiring it's it's there all the time um you know Mia will call that shady my coach calls that a, you know, a clever tactic. You know, they've reframed it into something that is positive, and because you've had permission from someone, it makes it okay. And what I want to do is get people to tune back into their own intuition. My ethics are different to your ethics, are different to everyone's ethics. So it's not about me being the moral authority. It's about hmm. you taking back agency of those decisions and going, you know what? It never felt good to say that. It never felt good to write that. And so I'm going to. Take back my power and stop doing things that don't align with me because let me tell you, it's never going to work. If, if you've got this tug of war of something that it doesn't feel right, no amount of good marketing is
0: going to make that convincing or compelling. Weaponizing language, I think that's an excellent term. Um, you just see it and I think it makes my bullshit radar that much more in tune because I guess I'm looking for it and I'm consciously trying not to write in a way that, that does all this stuff you're talking about. Like it's just so wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Either you're on, on this side of it or you're on that side of it. I don't think there's really an in-between. Would you agree? Yeah, I think
1: that what I certainly what I've chosen to do is to earn people's trust and so mm-hmm. not just tell them what they want to hear and romanticise things. And, like, you know, it, there seems to be a real narrative happening about how you know, business is easy and you can scale your business to seven figures and you can be, have a wildly successful podcast launch in four weeks. I mean, was your podcast wildly successful in four weeks? Mine certainly wasn't. We're on 12 months and I don't know if I'm still wildly successful. And so I feel like, When I do tell them something, they believe me because I've been honest with them. So like you said right at the beginning, respecting people and giving them a lot more credit than, you know, giving them the credit that they deserve to to know what's up and and what's down. And I feel like when I do turn around and say to them, hey, campaigns are are proven to build brands, they believe me because I haven't lied to them about everything else. Mm.
0: And also because you've recently launched your own campaign. Um, It's titled Make Marketing Great Again. Tell us, what is that all about? (laughs) Uh, So uh, so Make Marketing Great
1: Again is my latest brand campaign and it follows on from my first brand campaign, which was called The Gurus We Deserve. And um, The Gurus We Deserve shone a light on these like, online marketing gurus, these snake oil salesmen, bro marketers that, you know, we've been talking about on this podcast. And Make Marketing Great Again is is the next iteration. But instead of impersonating a guru, which is what I did in the original campaign film, I'm now a politician running for office. And um, I'm making my campaign stump speech. And it is all about how to make marketing great again. So, I feel like I've taken my audience on a journey these last two years. So first of all, I drew their attention to gurus and what the gurus do, what are the shady marketing tactics that they use so that people can be like, oh, that's what that is. I've seen that, but I didn't realize that it was so sinister or that that's how they manipulated audiences. So I feel like now there's me and a whole bunch of other people who are talking about the gurus. But Make Marketing Great Again is about, okay, so what? Now what do we do? Now that we know that they exist, how do we get back to ethical, purposeful,
0: strategic marketing? I love, in fact, I bloody love how you <laughs> talk the walk, you walk the talk, and you poke fun while solidifying yourself again as an extraordinary marketer it is such a clever campaign campaigns are scary for small business owners like it's something you imagine big brands to do not little old me just working from home or whatever um so maybe it's helpful for people listening um before we go back to talking about shady marketing stuff that they shouldn't be doing um maybe it's helpful for you to run through a couple of keys to running marketing campaigns that are not shrouded in icky tactics. Being a career marketer, I found it
1: really surprising when I stepped into online business that small businesses didn't run marketing campaigns because it's all we did working for bigger brands. And the pushback that I was getting was first of all, what the hell is a campaign? Like how how what is it? Because it is, you know, one of the million marketing. Terms jargon that is just so poorly used. Like, you know, if you log into Facebook Ads Manager and you go to run a Facebook ad, they will call that a campaign. So people are like, okay, so paid social media advertising is a campaign? Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, so I, that was my first sort of job is to really educate people about what a campaign is. Because by doing that, I was able to explain to them that a campaign. It doesn't matter how big or small it is. It doesn't have to be a particular size to qualify to be a campaign. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money to to qualify to become a campaign. It's not just for big businesses. It's a connected series of actions leading to the desired outcome. So it is not an individual Instagram post, a single email or a Facebook ad working in isolation, flapping in the wind. It is about bringing together all of those elements, your entire marketing arsenal, under a big idea, message, theme, hook, and integrating that. And usually campaigns are short bursts of activity, very purposeful and limited to just one or two objectives. So the best way to really think about campaigns is that it is the opposite to what most small businesses are doing now, which is always on marketing. Getting up every day and, you know, deciding what they're going to post on social media, that is always on marketing. Like, you know, sending a monthly newsletter, occasionally writing a blog post, posting on socials, all of that is always on marketing. And it is very important and, um, you know, it definitely serves a purpose, but it is nowhere near as effective in rising above the noise, in generating conversions, and in meeting objectives as campaigns because campaigns are configured to meet specific objectives. So for example, Make Marketing Great Again is a brand campaign. It is all about trying to get brand awareness and building my audience. I'm not trying to do a million things. I'm not asking anyone to buy anything from me right now. I'm not even asking them to join my email list. I'm just saying, hey, I'm over here I exist this is who I am this is who I stand for and it is that single purpose that makes it really effective because I'm not spreading myself across a million different things I'm focused and that focus is really really key so When we think about campaigns in the context of that definition of it being short bursts of activity, focused on a particular objective, and using a mix of your marketing channels, then it doesn't matter how big or small your business is. It doesn't matter if you've got $500,000 or $500. It doesn't matter. I've created campaigns for brands that have cost less than $500 because they're using a mix of paid, earned, owned, and borrowed channels. And the $500 was the paid, but then they leveraged, you know, publicity and PR, their own website and email list, their podcast in order to, you know, create a lot of momentum and a a lot of um, energy around this campaign without having to spend a lot
0: of money. Yes, I admit I've never done a campaign in my business. Uh, I guess partially I've, Never had to because I'm blessed to to continue to have work coming through. Um, So I wanted to share that because I don't want people to think that leaders or people who put themselves out on podcasts or who might do big, crazy stuff in their eyes are doing all the right things and doing campaigns. It's okay Mm -hmm. if you have never done one, people. (laughs) Um, I am not an always-on marketer. I am a sometimes because I feel like a marketer. (laughs) And that can work in its own way too. Um, I think that campaigns don't have to be scary if you listen to me (laughs) and I do feel like people are already doing a lot of the things involved in a campaign already it's just they haven't sat back and strategized and kind of been more mindful in the way they execute all these brilliant ideas that they come up with every day anyway would that be right totally yeah I think that there's a lot of people that run campaigns that don't realize
1: that they do because they they just don't have a name for it. And they're like, oh, I thought that was just a promotional plan. Or I thought that that was just a launch strategy. And it's like, well, you know, marketers love their jargon, but actually that really was a campaign. And then there's a lot of people who run camp, who think they run campaigns, but don't. It's like you posted every day for 30
0: days on Instagram and Instagram only. I don't know if that counts. (laughs) And and the point about Instagram is we're basically slaves to Instagram as the landlord. We're just tenants on there so it's fun it's instant but eh, it's not uh in my opinion uh, a reliable source of income or leads or any of those things um
1: I yeah. say we're performing monkeys because it's yep. like you know whatever whim that the Instagram overlords have is what we have to dance to literally dance to I really do feel deeply for those brands that were like I'm just going to focus on one thing and one thing only and um, it's going to be Instagram and I'm going to go all in because, you know, I need to conserve my energy and I need to like, you know, do one thing and do it well. I do understand the logic of that. That does make a lot of sense, but please don't do that on a borrowed channel. Do it on an owned channel. Be like, yeah, I'm going to go all in with my podcast and make that the the thing that I build my entire content strategy on. You don't build a house on borrowed land. Okay. Nope, you do not. I, I get that. If you want to go all in on something, go all in on your email marketing strategy, not Instagram.
0: It's about power because you don't have any power, any control, I think, in Instagram. It's, yeah, stick to the owned ones, as you said, which include, help me out here, email list, mm-hmm. website, yes. podcast. What yes. else can you add?
1: Um, so lead magnets, um, landing pages, um, any communities off social media. So we're starting to see people build communities like in Kajabi, Mighty Network, Circle. Those are examples of owned channels. Your physical premises as well. So if you are like a yoga studio, then it's or or a, or a shop, it's your storefront and your studio. Um, what else is an example of a oh, brand? Anything that's brand controlled, essentially, like you said.
0: Mm, yeah. Yes. So back to those kind of icky, shady marketing activities, can you share some of the, the tactics that you've seen lately that you're calling out?
1: I sure can. Okay. So um, we've mentioned a few, um, but I want to bring up some that have particularly irksome lately that I've found. So the first one is inflated value, where um, you say something is worth more than it is actually worth. Um, For instance, I'm seeing people, because they want you to enroll in their online course or join their membership, they want to show you the comparison between what it would be like to work with them one-on-one versus joining their course or membership. So they've come up with like hourly rates of things like $1,000 an hour, or it's it's $1,099 to have an hour meeting with me. And so um, it's a no-brainer to join my $59 a month membership. And my pushback to that is, has anyone actually paid that money? Because we don't actually, we don't get to decide what the value of something is. I know that coaches will tell you that you should know your worth and that you blah, 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 blah. blah. That's that's actually not how economics work. I might believe that my house, this house here is worth a million dollars, but it's worth what someone's prepared to pay for it, right? So if I take it to the market and I only get offers on this house... And the value of this house right now is $800,000. It's not a million. Until someone has paid me a million dollars for this house, it's not worth a million dollars. So please stop telling people that an hour with you is $2,000 if no one
0: has actually spent $2,000 with you one-on-one. What kind of person can earn that much money in an hour anyway? Tell me one profession. Well, like, and that's the
1: thing. That's why I know it's bogus because, you know, i my accountant is one of the best accountants in Australia and he doesn't charge that amount of money, you know. And, yeah, so I, and also, like, I as part of my research for gurus I've had to follow a lot of gurus so that I know what I'm talking about and I can see through the bullshit like I know that that's not how much an hour is worth with them because I've seen their prices it's just that now they've created this membership so they've just magically pulled a number out of their dairy to (laughs) to say that it's that it's not legitimate they've never actually had anyone book a one-on-one with them for that amount of money so And okay, even if they have had one person, are we going Are we going out there and telling people that an hour with me is worth $2,000 or $1,000 if one person in the history of time has paid that amount of money? Like I charge $550 an hour and that's what everyone will pay for an hour with me. And I've got receipts, you know, so I feel like it's, and I've, you know, been doing this for 21 years. I'm an award-winning marketing strategist. I can't get someone to pay $2,000 for me. I seriously doubt that the business doula is.
0: Sorry. I like you. good. Um, have you got another tactic you would like to call out? <laughs>
1: Uh, The other one that I've seen recently, which also enrages me, is that my prices are doubling. So my prices are doubling in a month, two months. So buy now before the price doubles. And I honestly, I cannot fathom how this is a good idea because, sure, people are going to rush maybe to buy now. And then you are going to have a drought. Like, I mean, a drought, because people have a really long memory when it comes to this. And they're going to remember that it was once half the price. Who in all consciousness is going to pay double for this in six weeks? You're going to have to wait a really long time. And so, this is where it gets really sinister. When they say that their price is doubling, they're actually going to delete that product. It's no longer going to exist. So, it's a product that's not working, it hasn't been working. And they're um, going to can it because it's not working, but they're trying to do a quick cash grab before that happens. And so they're telling you that the price is doubling. But then I log back in a month later and I'm like, are they seriously now selling that same course for double the price? Well, and behold, it doesn't exist anymore. And that's really some shady shit. It's treating us like we're stupid. Yeah, exactly. And getting away with it as well. So there are some brands, if you think about witchery bonds country road i'm never buying those brands at full price never again no. that has happened to me too many times where i have gone in and bought the latest witchery collection at full price gone in two weeks later and it's all 20 percent off and now i have been conditioned as the customer to never buy that brand at full price i just wait until it goes
0: on sale but it must work for them because they continue to do it. I mean, how many times over the course of the year do you see these bonds 40% off ending now emails. They are they're trapped
1: in that cycle. I have an FMCG background working for Kraft, Bic and Maybelline and it once you're stuck in that cycle, it is almost impossible to get out of it. And they've done it to themselves. And it's this tug of war between the marketing team who are the brand custodians and the sales team who want to hit short-term budget targets. And the marketing team, I think, I swear to God, this is like straight out of my career history. The marketing team would go in and they would say, please, let's not do this. This is going to erode brand value over time. We are going to condition our customers into waiting for sales. And the salesperson is like, we have a target. We need a hit. If we go on 20%, we can sell this much more. Bob's your uncle. And it's a tug of war. And unfortunately, most businesses have to, you know, grow or they risk you know shareholders being pissed off with them they have targets that they need to hit they have profitability and so we often throw the baby out with the bathwater by going on sale you are all you are doing really is um Bringing sales forward from the category. So you're not actually getting too many incremental sales. It's people who are going to purchase from you already. And what you've done is just given it to them at a discount.
0: Mm. Um, a couple of quick questions for you, Mia. How do you define success for yourself? Oh,
1: such a good question. I've thought about this a lot because I'm a very ambitious person and like I have big dreams. And a lot of the times I've, and I'm also my toughest critic, a lot of the times I've had to sit back and go, okay, but when is enough Mia? Like how much is enough? When when do you know that it's enough? And to me now, the way that I define success is starting my day at 11am every day after I've been to yoga or the gym and being able to take my kids to afternoon sports, two times a week and um being able to work at home with no shoes on and (laughs) never have to wear a bra (laughs) and um I'm there that's what I do that's my life I don't take a single meeting before 11 a.m and I do take my kids to after school sports a couple of days a week and so like that's very much my definition of success. Like, I really find the flexibility and the freedom of running a business is is how I measure success. So every day that I can continue to do this, is actually successful.
0: Yes, my definition is very similar. In yeah. that I have the, having the flexibility to go and buy a coffee or go and buy lunch or visit the library because I love to read um, or do those things when you want to and still deliver quality work to people you care about who have brands that I care about. Awesome. Amir, thank you. Thank you so much. You are so awesome. Thanks for listening to Rise and Shine. Please leave a review and subscribe so we can spread the love to more brave, business-minded women like you. You can find me online at shinecopy.com.au.